everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, author and writer about all things cycling and fitness related. And I'm Peter Glassford, and I am a registered kinesiologist and Molly's co-host here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I am in a very scenic ice room in a hotel, a Best Western even. An ice room? Ice, like where you get ice, but it's got like leather-bound books and chairs and stuff. Oh, I thought you were make, like talking about one of those like ice restaurants that's like all ice and they have like vodka luges and stuff. I was like, man, you're at a really good hotel. I'm just at the you know one that looks like a pyramid in Las Vegas. So this is a very yeah. uh, cross-country episode right now, actually. Yeah, is there any good inner bike uh, gossip you can share here in the introduction? Uh, actually not yet. So yeah, I'm out here for Interbike. Uh, dirt demo started yesterday, but my flights from Iowa where we were for Jingle Cross, the Cyclocross World Cup got delayed. So it's been a bit of a scramble to get everything situated here. But any minute now, I'm about to head out and go to dirt demo. So hopefully by next week's intro, I'll have some, some really good stories. But for now, we really just have some excellent Jingle Cross stories since Peter and I were both out there. This past week, watching some serious cyclocross racing action. So, any takeaways from that weekend? Well, Ellen Noble hopped the barriers, which I think is progressive for for women's cycling, I would say, or or cycling in general. So, that was pretty cool. It's probably crossed your Twitter feed, but if it hasn't, I don't know what the hashtag is, but you can look up just barrier hopping and Ellen Noble. Or you could just go to well, Molly J. Herford and look at the videos that I've posted of it. There are a couple yeah, ones slow-mo. That's, that's true. So hopefully you're following Molly and you've seen that. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's sort of cool. And you know, that was a lot of skill practice on her, her part. And I was glad when she posted about it that she sort of highlighted that. I think a lot of times we all see things and think we should be able to do that. Or, you know, I, need, I really need to start practicing. And, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but... Um, I, I don't know. If you look back in her feed, like she was practicing that, I think even three years ago, I mean, she's been riding her whole life. So she's been practicing to sell my element. But I think the, the take home, and I'm glad she brought it up was that, you know, she, this came after a lot of practice and a lot of progression and mm-hmm. a lot of work. So yeah, kudos sure. to her. Um, also the race was pretty crazy. The who won Van out or Van art. I'm uh, Vanderpool. Vanderpool, oh, yeah, really Vanderpool hard with the Belgians. He, well, he was there, but uh, yeah, Vanderpool completely annihilated and put on like some of the stuff he did. Like his barrier hop was also fairly progressive. Like he was almost doubling the barriers um, or clearing them, and then uh, his, some of the corners he did were just amazing. So mm-hmm. I mean, if you can watch that, uh, that's on the UCI YouTube channel. I think you can watch that still. So that was. That's pretty neat. And then yeah. what else? Well, there, in the women's... There was Doggy, doggy Cross. Doggy Cross. So exciting. They had, a, they had some sort of cross, I guess, dogs running around in a circle over barriers. It looked so. awesome. Um, yeah, so and the women's... promoters are looking for ways. I don't think you had to pay for that. I think that was more of like a community type I thing. Think I don't so. think there was an entry fee, but... Yeah. For event organizers looking for ways to, like, augment their event. I think that the crowd around that was pretty good. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the other thing is just the women's field was just so strong and so stacked. It was a really exciting race to watch, and it's been really cool seeing, you know, the levels just going up every single year for women's racing. It was nuts. Katarina Nash just crushed it. It was super cool. Um, Yeah. 
But and now CX CX well CX hairs are our sister brother. I don't know if they're sister or brother podcast. I don't know yeah. what the term is for that. But uh, our our uh, one of the other uh, wide angle podium podcasts was there, and they've done a lot of different covers. So if you're really into the the cyclocross stuff, that's definitely worth checking out to get a little more introspection and uh, some some interviews and stuff from the thing as well as some highlights videos. They definitely did some really great ones there. So check out uh, cxhairs.com, I believe is the, mm-hmm. the website for that. Yeah. But anyway, today we actually kind of on the topic almost is it's the, you know, a couple of days after the race and a lot of the riders are super focused, especially during the season on recovering during the week. And actually the guest we have on today is sort of all about the recovery and sort of knowing when you're recovered and, you know, telling when you're properly recovered and stuff. So actually it's another throwback because we have marco altini back on and he was one of our earlier guests as well he runs the uh, hrv for training app um yeah and it's a super exciting thing to get to chat with him about it because it's the one thing that i'd say i've done consistently as a habit for the last couple years is tracking my heart rate variability every morning yeah really good to sort of have some follow-up with him and we're having a few of our more popular guests and episodes and sort of following up with them and so they've been they're a year and a half or so down the road of developing this app and the community and you know they've had a lot of good response from companies like training peaks have got on board and given them more give and take as far as data so as a coach i go into it but the ability to have one app that someone can spend two minutes and you know put some data into the training peaks that the coach can look at that um and then also pull data from Training Peak so that the HRV app can then give you some sort of introspection as to how that all that data when you collect it is sort of interacting with your training load. So um, they're doing really really great work. So it's great to catch up again with Marco. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's dive right in. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And as always, we'd love it if you would just head over to iTunes and rate and review this podcast. We have a bunch of really exciting guests lined up, you know, in coming weeks and. The more ratings and reviews we have, the bigger and crazier and cooler guests we can bring on. So definitely keep that in mind. All right, thanks. Let's get into it. All right, welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We're here with Marco Altini again. Marco's back. He's our our second repeat guest now. Uh, We wanted to have him back. The HRV podcast we did was one of the favorites we've had, and people want to know more. So Marco was gracious enough in his busy day to carve out another hour for us. So Marco, thank you for coming back. Thank you for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. So the HRV for Training app is doing great. You've developed bunch more partnerships with the training peaks and a bunch of other ones which we'll talk about and you've also published a bunch of studies you've been busy in the last year yeah yeah it's been uh it's been quite a year but it's been uh i would say very interesting also from as you mentioned a research perspective and some new studies and you know from the validations of the basic technology to actually using the data to try to derive some new insights um i think we are heading in a, in a good direction awesome and you have been running a bunch, um, so uh-huh. you, you've been busy, but you've also been running. Some of the runs I see from you are, are just pretty massive runs and big work, interval workouts and stuff. How do you how do you find the time to do that when you're doing all these research studies and, and programming? <laughs> so big disclaimer here, I'm no athlete, so don't get too excited about this. But yeah, I started running more. I think um, 
uh, also changed a bit my approach to training, you know, going more polarized a bit, which made it much easier to increase volume and dedicate more time to it. And then I guess I shifted a bit priorities, you know, it got more fun getting a little faster and I tried just to to do that a little more and go a bit less crazy about work and other things, trying to find, you know, a bit of balance myself. I like that. And it's funny, you actually have been tweeting a bunch about uh, using Matt Fitzgerald's running methods, and we've had him on the podcast, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and Steven Seiler, too, I think is probably, yeah. it's actually probably more Steven Seiler <laughs> yeah, than Matt Fitzgerald's has maybe popularized it. Exactly, exactly. So I think their work was um, it's pretty solid. I mean, it's actually, you know, nothing new, but based on years of, you know, what elite athletes have been doing and research also more recently where they even tried to uh, design studies where you could compare even just regular, you know, runners, not elite athletes, randomizing different groups, following certain polarized approaches. And they've seen, you know, there is uh, better adaptations and typically these approaches lead to improved performance. So my, you know, piece of anecdotal evidence is that that worked pretty well for me in this past 12 months. It takes a lot of patience, you know, you have to go out and keep your heart rate low and go very slow at the beginning, but then the adaptations will come. Right. And it, it is interesting because I think it makes sense when you're super fit and you're doing a lot of hours of training, you know, obviously at some point you're going to have to go easier or else you won't be able to do the volume and, yeah. you know, you have the time. So the common, I guess, misconception perhaps is that we need to do a lot of middle ground training that might, you know, might call it tempo or even sweet yeah. spot or, or, you know, sort of that 80%, 70% type stuff. So maybe for context you know this is pretty specific to your running but what is like do you have a like what's your 10k pace like uh, that would be sort of around your threshold what would that be so um so let's say that when i started this um that is i would say exactly one year ago uh so i would run half marathons in i don't know one 142 145 right and i was like okay i love running but i'm just it's just not my thing you know <laughs> i'm just not not good at it and it's okay um, and uh, and I was doing a lot of that, you know, uh, 150, 60 BPM, which for me was probably like chronic moderate uh, intensity, which would then lead to, you know, always being a little tired and never being able to increase volume, being tired also for the intense sessions. And a year of this brought me to, uh, so last August, like a month ago, I ran 124. So again, obviously, like, you know, not making the Olympic team, but 20 minutes on a half marathon, I would say, is beyond doubt, like, a significant improvement. Uh, so it's about, you know, a minute per kilometer faster pace. I, I raced this one, was 3.59 per kilometer. Um, so I think these adaptations uh, have improved a lot. You know, my running, especially because it's not that I had just started running. Before I ran, like, five, six years with zero improvement, right? I was always running the same times. And now in one year, I've improved more than ever before. So I think there's definitely something to trying to apply the right stressor in terms of um, the type of training you do. And at the same time, you know, the other part that I do is to try to balance it out then by measuring uh, how my body is responding through physiological parameters at rest like HRV uh, and trying to see how can uh, in the long run, you know, optimize uh, that feedback loop. Right. So, 
so you were running i don't want to belabor this but like would you have to walk initially you know when you weren't quite uh, as fit you weren't as good a runner did you have to when you slowed down and and went to that easier pace you know you had to keep your heart rate under 140 or whatever yeah so i run very slow i remember my first run was more than seven minutes per kilometer so i was like almost twice racing pace now it was yeah. very slow like that was like psychologically it was very hard also the time it takes is like to go out for a 10k then it takes forever you know <laughs> so yeah. it, it, was, uh, it was something but you know um when nothing else has worked for so many years then you're willing i think to give it a shot and and okay. take the time to try to do that. Yeah. So then on the flip side then, so when, again, initially in those first couple of weeks, you did those seven, seven minute Ks. So then what you did one or two intensity days, presumably. So what would that like right when you started, do you remember some of those first workouts? Like if someone's want to try this in their running, you know, what would, what, did yeah. you, what were the, what were the high days? What were those hard days like? So for me, the high days are so normally I would go to the truck and uh, I would alternate uh, shorter intervals once, twice per month, like 400 meters or 1k uh i don't know 10 per 400 meters or 5 per 1k and then uh, the other weeks i would do longer intervals 2k 3k uh three or four of those uh, so i try to do those as you know like threshold efforts then which would be i don't know a 10k pace more or less right uh, so also those i've seen so those were not that slow uh, at that time maybe they were i don't know 415 something like that um, and then, uh, of course, I've seen this also improving over the time. Um, I don't know, maybe right now, 1K, it would be 335. So I would say these kind of changes, uh, which I would credit like entirely to the, the training approach, which is, you know, polarized training um, and, and, you know, going easy and, and um, going hard on these separate sessions. Also, what, what you can see then is simply how you're, heart rate that you keep, you know, more or less constant, 140, 145, whatever it is for you, um, will lead over time to always a slightly quicker pace, which is just, you know, the adaptation in your body, which is actually reflecting very well uh, how you're improving fitness. Right. So that's, that's a good way to keep track then, you know, because you have always something um, that you can use to measure this uh, this improvement this actually heart rate at a given pace is you know what we normally call submaximal heart rate which is the main parameter we use uh, even for vo2 max estimates or uh, to to determine fitness from from workouts or preliminary data gotcha yeah that's really interesting and it's it's you know in your training beforehand you would have never run you know, up, you know, probably, would you say like even under a five minute K? So you weren't actually practicing like really fast running. So in your old running training program, you know, you were jogging a lot of the Mm -hmm. time essentially and never practicing like race pace or even harder than race pace, you know, your future race pace. Whereas in your new plan, you started twice a week or whatever it was practicing really fast running. Um, And so you almost wonder if that's like more the, the real or i guess it is it's the real like training stimulus but you can't get that training stimulus if you're doing these like all these long jogs at you know that middle ground right that's sort of yeah exactly i think it's eventually it's a combination of both uh there should be you know a positive adaptation also in the low intensity ones in terms of at least 
uh, aerobic fitness or even you know at the cellular level mitochondria so right uh, you can only do it at that if you go into that middle brain you're not getting a lot of that mitochondria yeah when you do you know like as uh, as seller himself say like you know no 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 intensity is um is dangerous per se but when you just do that chronic moderate intensity all the time then that will lead probably to you know uh, not many improvements and possibly overtraining uh, in general and inability to then step up also their intensity training, which of course we are the ones that will lead to improved VO2 max and uh, eventually faster speeds. Gotcha. All right. So that's, you know, some people really like that high low um, training and stuff. So that's, that's sort of some more practical stuff to start off today. But let's let's combine this then. So we have HRV. We have our phone app, HRV for Training. I believe hrvfortraining.com is the website, and you should get on that. It's not an overly expensive app. It's one that I find very useful. Um, so let's talk a bit about the app first and sort of where what, what's new in the app, the HRV for Training app, you know, since we last talked, what what is sort of developing in, in, in that app that people can really leverage to make their training better? So we've been doing, um, I would say, a couple of new things over uh, the the past 12 months. One of them um, was to include VO2max estimate. That's something I've been working on also during my PhD. So basically there um, we would be working on trying to estimate cardiorespiratory fitness or VO2max from activities of daily living. So it was not even workouts, but simply wearing wearable sensors that would be smart enough to understand context, so what activities you're doing, if you're just walking around and what speed and how your uh, physiology is responding to that activity or change in activity, so that you could estimate VO2max in the general population. And then I took some of these concepts uh, and brought it to the app in a way which is actually even a little more let's say a little simpler and more accurate because in the app we can use actual workouts data. So when you have a higher intensity stimulus, then it's easier to to understand these relationships between um, context and activity, for example, running a certain pace and changes in physiology, or simply what's your heart rate at a certain pace. And the principle is uh, is also pretty simple, which is you know the more fit you are, you are, the faster you can run at a certain uh, heart rate, or the lower your heart rate will be at a certain pace. And then that information can be used to estimate VO2 max or cardiorespiratory fitness together with other um, variables, for example, just body weight or gender um, and everything that d- defines an individual. So we use this um, as a way to track fitness and performance at the individual level without having to do specific tests um, that you would otherwise normally do to try to understand if your fitness has improved significantly over a certain period of time. This way, there is no need to add the extra stress. So, you know, you can just get an estimate directly from workouts. Now, there are quite a few devices that also do that. Um, So, so Marco, so the... 
the VO2, like the data you're pulling, you're basically going to you usually pull from either Strava or Training Peaks, I believe now. Exactly. Yeah. So we, as the app, is still uh, an app that you would use only first thing in the morning and it's not used to track workouts. So we link the app. So we, yeah, we have a partnership with Training Peaks and then we used Strava's APIs as well so that we can uh, basically get workouts data from them and then use these workouts data in our app to provide the estimate to users. So as a cyclist, do I need to have runs in Strava? Because I know you use the running data, right, from triathletes, yeah. or that created your model, and now you can help me as a, if I was only a cyclist. Exactly. Could you, you can just use the, that normative data, basically. Yeah, so at the beginning, we released this for runners because the models came from a laboratory study that I did during my PhD in which uh, we had people running on treadmills and then we had uh, VO2max measurements. Uh, So we did not have, for example, power and heart rate while cycling, which is necessary to build models for cyclists. But then at a certain point, basically, we used... Uh, user-generated data and the fact that some users would have a VO2 max estimate and both running and cycling activity this is the case for most triathletes so that we could use the triathletes data to build new models where the predictors would only be variables used while cycling for example cycling power and heart rate and then we could build models that we deploy to all the cyclists so that if you're just a cyclist, you can also get your VO2max estimate right now um, through this uh, through this new model, which was released, I think, a couple of months ago. So right now, VO2max works for triathletes, runners, and cyclists. Awesome. Uh, yeah, just by linking, you know, training peaks or Strava. So as a cyclist, I just need to make sure that the HRV for Training app is pulling in my Strava data daily. And then it should, I think it's 10 rides you need to get into it, and then there'll be an estimate, or do they have to be a certain type of rides? Like, do I have so, to do 10 hard um, rides? Yeah, it's any rides. Um, the only thing is that we need, I think at this stage, we have 12 over six weeks. I think we decided, so basically, to three per week is, uh, is a minimum that I would say is necessary to have a decent estimate because you will have a bit of variability. There's going to be some different workouts. And then also um, six weeks, I think, is a good time because, you know, fitness changes slowly. So more at the, you know, month-to-month kind of thing, more than on a day-to-day. So I don't think it makes much sense to estimate um, VO2 max based on a single workout, or a single workout, but we should, you know, group a couple more and see how is the underlying fitness for, for a given person. So that's um, the requirements we have right now. And do the rides have to be, like, is it, would my VO2 be higher if the rides were intensity rides? Or does it, is it because you're using submax, it doesn't, like, if I yeah. can push 200 watts at 120 beats, then my VO2 max is going to be pretty decent. Yeah, yeah. So as uh, eventually the relationship between these parameters, which is uh, in the model, so, you know, you normalized uh, heart rate by power or speed or pace depending on the sport then uh, it should not matter that much however we've seen that harder efforts normally tend to bring you like some slightly higher estimates um, as otherwise the model probably does not know that you could push harder 
Uh, but in general, I would say the fact that uh, that is normalized means that you can get a reasonable um, estimate despite not doing uh, racing or intense workouts in a given period. Hmm. Have you... I know you have a lot of numbers that you crunch and things you look at. Is Have you by chance looked at out of those users you have with VO2 estimates? And I know you can also look at how polarized the training people have. Are you seeing that the polarized, people with polarized training uh, generally have higher VO2 max or, or anything along those lines? So um, I have looked at the two things separately for now, but I have not put them together. So I don't know. What we what I, what we checked before was that people that had a more polarized training had faster racing times on our user base, and similarly we had that uh, people with higher VO2 max had faster racing times. Okay. So it it could be that they are the same subset, but uh, I have not looked exactly at the intersection of the two. Awesome. Well, you would assume it would cross over. That's a faulty, faulty logic, I realize. But, yeah, uh, bad researcher. Bad researcher. <laughs> Marco's the researcher. That's not me. I just jumped to conclusions. Yeah. Um, what else is new in the app? So we also have that polarized training. It can tell you if, you're, if you don't know what polarized training is, the app can help you sort of suss out if you are polarizing. Um, there's also a lot more training peaks interaction. Can you let us know, like, what else are you sending or taking from training peaks now? Yeah, so um, at the beginning, I think we were pushing just a variability to their platform. Now they have enabled us to read workouts. So in the morning when you fill in your what we call tags, so just information that you fill in the app to provide additional context for the analysis we do, um, that can be filled in automatically just from training peaks. So, you know, distance and speed and heart rate and power and everything you've been doing. And then at the same time, uh, this information is used uh, by us, again, for the VO2max estimate. Another thing is, as you say, for the polarized training analysis. So we have a breakdown of the past four weeks where you can see basically how many trainings you did above or below threshold. And you can set your own threshold either for heart rate or power or even just for RPs, or RP, yeah, so for perceived effort, basically. So if you, have, if you do a sport where you are subjectively rate uh, your effort you can also do that and see if uh, you know what's the percentage of high intensity work you do so i think those are some of the features where we use uh, actual you know objective workouts data there's also training load analysis where we that's a, i would say a bit more of a standard analysis which can be found also as aware where we look at injury risk as well as freshness uh, as metrics that can help guiding training. This analysis is entirely based on uh, the training stimulus, so there is no um, physiological response in there, which is why I think it can be complementary. You see, um, you know, for example, what's the injury risk given a model which takes into account uh, acute chronic training load. So the principle there is also pretty simple, which means if you uh, increased too much your training load recently in, in a short time period, say a week, with respect to what you're used to take, say in the previous month, then you're at higher injury risk normally. And that's what, something you can see also in the app and quantifying your 
training stimulus in different ways using TSS from Training Peaks or software score from Strava or simply distance or your subjective metrics. Gotcha. So someone could, you know, look at their training and see if they're increasing too much too soon, uh, which is pretty valuable. Um, and, and so basically it's taking, you know, if you're used to doing one hour rides and then you go away for a week, uh, you know, to California or something where it's, you know, warm and you're out at a camp or, you know, something like that. And, you know, you're all of a sudden riding three and four hours every, every day, then the app's going to sort of give you sort of a, a signal. Um, and then you're also going to get, and this is one of the studies you did actually. So I guess we could talk about that a bit too. Um, that coupled with HRV. So if I went away and did that, you know, and I two or three or four fold increase for a week off my normal, um, you'd get that red flag. But then also if you had HRV, um, you know, going out of its normal range because you're doing this high amount of training, then you sort of are getting these two good warning signs that, you know, you might want to be careful, right? Exactly, exactly. So this was a study that was published just, uh, I think, this week. Um, so the the main author was Sean Williams. He did this study that was um, on elite CrossFit athletes. And indeed, it was particularly interesting because they measured both acute to chronic training load, which is, a, let's say, a standard way to assess injury risk. But also they measured physiology using HRV for training and uh, baseline HRV, let's say, over a certain period of time. And then what they found was that injury risk was much higher uh, when you had a combination of the two, so a high acute to chronic load and uh, a reduction in HRV, uh, which might indicate indeed that maybe you are not coping well with the training plan or not adapting well. And, you know, despite being on CrossFit athlete, I think this is a study where I can like kind of relate these days because I'm currently injured and I've done exactly the same. So I came back, you know, after, um, so at first I raced and then I took some time off and then I was on holiday and then I came back here and I was like, I'm only five weeks from my next marathon. I need to increase load a lot, do some long runs. Then I did probably, uh, you know, one or two too many. And then at the same time, my HRV was sinking and I was like, yeah, I can do another week. And clearly I couldn't. So <laughs> right now I'm not even knowing if I will run this marathon. There you so, go. N equals one um, right there. You've recreated the study <laughs> results. Yeah, right. So uh, anecdotal again, but, you know, interesting to see how. Uh, so I posed uh, the question when we were talking there. Why do you think and you surmise like if someone went away and the HRV wasn't depressed, but they did have that high acute to chronic ratio. So they had really changed their training load. They're doing 30 hours instead of 10 hours, but the HRV isn't abnormal. The The risk wasn't there in this study. Is is that true? So yeah, in this study it wasn't. Uh, it was also a small sample size. So, you know, and a specific sport, It's I would say it's always, you know, difficult to generalize that much and something that probably needs to be replicated. Uh, but yeah, so if um, th there was no sign, physiologically speaking, that there was a negative adaptation, then the, the higher load did not affect neg negatively the um, basically injury outcomes eventually. I guess that makes sense, right? Because they're 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 physiologically, it seems like they're adapting. They're not getting a disruption in their normal you know, cardiovascular exactly. or parasympathetic reaction. So you, what you might run into there, I guess, is like an experienced athlete who maybe just was being lazy before camp or something or bef yeah. before the intervention 
but then has you know a lot of the you know tissue adaptations and stuff like that so they can actually handle that increased load but they've just been maybe the four weeks or so before where they were slacking a bit yeah definitely possible i mean that's what we say right if you are used already to certain levels of training load in the past then you can all get much uh, quicker back at those levels while you know if you never did it you should go more gradually yeah, so I always struggle, you know, there's a lot of people come out of elite sport and then go into coaching or something and they just try and replicate what they did for, you know, quote unquote normal people and it's always like, ooh, like, you know, those those people are not conditioned to that type of stuff, right? Like, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Hmm, interesting. Uh so why don't we go what a just briefly i guess can you take us through there's two other studies that are sort of out of late the i think most important for anyone you know curious about hrv for training is that the big one of the big selling points i would say with this app is that you can use the the phone camera to take the measurement so there's no more you know spitting on a strap in the morning to try and get your heart rate strap to read and then freaking out that it doesn't work and so you guys have validated that in a study that it it traces um closely if, if not the same as a, a, a an actual strap is that correct yeah exactly so this was the first publication this, this year i think so the group was led by uh, paul larsen this was at the high performance sport in new zealand and the study was carried out by ben scott and then plus and so this was the validation of the uh, basic camera measurement and you know obviously we did many of these um, analysis in the past uh, as the app has been you know out for five years but at the same time we never went through peer review with this so it, I think it was great for us to actually do the study as it's it's one of you know the most important things for me is that you know there is an accurate tool that you put out there so that you can collect data at a greater scale that you would not otherwise be able to do in the lab so that you can, you know, understand new insights as we've been doing with other studies. But all of this falls apart if the basic unit of measurement is not accurate, right? right. So what we did there, we, we had, uh, I think, about 30 people and a very wide range of um, HRV scores. So um, I think we went from uh, the 20s milliseconds to almost 300. So that was probably the largest I've ever seen, even um, in, in previous studies that we've been doing. So it was very useful also to make some small changes eventually in the way we deal with artifacts in the app. Um, and yeah, so the, the outcome was that, you know, for the heart rate and MSSD, which is our main um, HRV metric, then for these two metrics, using the camera or a chest strap, in this case we had a Polar H7, or using a full ECG was exactly the same. Uh, so, you know, it can be used uh, reliably even just with a phone camera. Right. Perfect. Yeah, that must have been great for you. I know you had done a lot with the H7. We talked a bit about that in the first podcast. Um, so now are you at a place where you would say it's not worth using the heart rate strap? Or if someone had one and was a keener, like, is it still worth using the heart rate strap? Is there a benefit to that? So I think uh, it depends. Um, some people still find using the camera or staying steady there with the finger can be stressful for them. Uh, so in that case, if you know the you feel more relaxed with the polar, sure, go ahead and do that because another point is to be relaxed during the measurement. So you don't want to be affected ne negatively somehow by the fact that you're measuring with the camera. 
But in terms of data quality, um, there wouldn't be a reason to not to use it. Awesome. Yeah, I know a few, it seems to be younger athletes, uh, and I'm trying to think if I've had any, yeah, one, one or two males. So it's not even uh, like gender dependent. Um, and for whatever reason, they can't get it, you know, and I've tried my finger on their phone and I'm sitting there and it seems pretty standard, but they, the numbers jump all over the place. So I don't know if it's, you know, their hands shake or if it's like a, mm-hmm. a, a tissue quality. Yeah, there could be actually also some, uh, maybe someone has lower perfusion, you know, like blood flow at the finger and then gotcha. that's like absolutely no problem from a health point of view, I would say, but still it might just not work great with this. Uh, technology so there is definitely also a percentage of the of the population let's say which might just not be able to use this specific technology because of that yeah because basically you're you're sort of the camera is almost filming you know the cha- yeah. the changes uh, in the coloring in your finger due to blood flowing through it right exactly so That's if, what if you're a small person with small blood vessels or not a lot of, you know your fingers are a little skinnier or whatever right not to say yeah. that you have to have fat fingers. I was going to say, did you just call my fingers fat? <laughs> oh, my fingers read tremendously on the app, yeah, so I don't know. Mine are that... always optimal, so. Yeah, there you go. Optimal fingers. Um, okay, so then what? Let's let's continue on that sort of almost rapid fire questions of, about HRV. You know, people have this stuff now and they're a little more familiar with it, but what, you know, even for coaches, what can we say if we're, con- you know, trying to convince athletes to use it or explaining what it is? What, you know, is there anything that we can say HRV can predict or, or anything that we definitely can't say? You know, it's something you hear people saying all the time, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So, well, HRV is a, I mean, eventually it's a simple metric. It measures physiological stress. So that's interesting because, you know, the autonomic nervous system is affected by pretty much anything we do. Uh, and by measuring HRV under standardized conditions, uh, which is key, for example, you know, as we always say, try to measure first thing in the morning, same body position, uh, while relaxing, because, you know, due to the nature of the fact that we are measuring something which is so sensitive to even just um, moving around or eating or having coffee or, you know, harder physical activity, then it's important to measure under standard conditions. But under those conditions, it's a pretty good marker of, uh, you know, parasympathetic activity and and physiological stress, which means you can measure um, your body stress. And that's typically actionable information because as you do it first thing in the morning, you can then decide, for example, to adjust your training or if training is, you know, is not your main priority, you can still make changes and try to take it easy if you see uh, stress is piling up and it's good to have some objective feedback there on something that normally we might have trouble to assess ourselves. Right. And so that study that we were just talking about where they, you know, they had that high acute to chronic training load. So on paper, we can look at the training and say, okay, you know, Marco's doing this big training block um, and this is abnormal, but then we can also look at how you were adapting. So in your N equal one study, you yourself saw that your training load was high relative to those vacation weeks and off weeks and even the race week probably. So we could be raising the red flag, but then also you saw, okay, he's also not adapting so that exactly. so it's giving you another sort of red flag right and as you say it's whether we listen to it or not everyone's, <laughs> yeah. we're all stubborn endurance athletes exactly 
Um, awesome. Anything else? Like, can HRV? I, we got a question here. Just let me double check that we're going to get it. Um, what is the relationship between fatigue and HRV? So, can we say that you know HRV going down always means we're tired, or is you know what what is that relationship? Can we say anything around that as far as what it is or what it isn't with fatigue? So, um, let's say that for certain, uh, can you hear the drilling? A little bit. It's okay though. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Normally when they start, then it's pretty bad. Anyways. So the, um, what I wanted to say is that for certain, let's say more complex, uh, phenomena, like say, actually typically people get closer to HRV even because they want to figure out, you know, if they are overtrained or if there is the risk of overtraining or, you know, accumulating fatigue. For this, for these things, I would say typically a combined approach is best looking at different parameters. HRV is definitely one that is important. Uh, what we do in the app, we try to look not only at your baseline HRV, for example, but also at how your HRV changes on a day-to-day basis. Um, for example, if you have typically much day-to-day variation, uh, which is called, you know, this metric is called the coefficient of variation. When we have uh, much of that, it could be that we are not adapting very well to a current training block, and that might also be a symptom. And then we put together that the baseline HRV, your heart rate, we look at your training load, and, you know, contextual information is always key. And then try to figure out if uh, you are adapting well or not to a specific training block, uh, accumulating fatigue, or um, yeah, or if you are coping well and you can keep going with, with what you are doing. So these are, I would say, more experimental aspects as sometimes positive and negative adaptations might have similar physiological patterns. Um, but I would say the key is to look at different aspects, including your subjective, uh, you know, feelings as, uh, you know, HRV is a useful tool that should aid the process, but I always say, you know, it should not replace um, our brain or thinking process. And if we feel something is is off, that's always should be, uh, you know, prioritized. And then uh, the objective data can be used uh, to make other meaningful adjustments as we go. is a life insurance company that promotes a health-conscious lifestyle through financial rewards. They've used science and data to get lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people just like you, including those who exercise four times a week through cycling, weightlifting, swimming, running, whatever consummate athlete lifestyle you're, you're undertaking. Research has shown that people who are highly active through exercise have a 22% lower cancer risk, 50% lower heart risk, and 34% lower risk of early death. Many people who exercise regularly don't realize that they can get a special rate with Health IQ if they qualify through the Health IQ quiz. Health IQ has special rates for cyclists, runners, triathletes, vegans, and other health-conscious people, so you can qualify by scoring elite on quizzes for specific lifestyles. Essentially replacing BMI with waist-to-hip ratio for better predictors of cardiovascular disease when it comes to weightlifters and muscular builds. That's great for me. They also have replaced the LDL-HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for low-carb and paleo dieters, which is a better predictor of cholesterol health, and they don't take into account one incidence of family history if you're otherwise healthy. So, 
go over to healthiq.com slash CAPod. All lowercase. And take that quiz. Um, they have a bunch of different quizzes on the website, and the website's pretty well designed, so it's worth heading over there, checking it out, and again, using that link, healthiq.com slash C-A-P-O-D. So would a higher HRV mean that we're we're not tired, or would it sometimes mean that we're getting tired? Yeah, so a higher HRV is one of these cases where there are, let's say, uh, situations which are uh, different from what we would expect. For example, when you have a lower HRV, well, that's most certainly the case that there is much physiological stress in the body. When everything is normal, then typically it doesn't really matter too much, so you can just keep following your, your training plan. When your score is higher, it depends. Sometimes it might be that some other uh, physiological processes are a bit, let's say, uh, messed up because of a particularly high-intensity workout or, let's say, I don't know, jet lag, something that has a strong impact um, on your body. So what we do normally is to try to take a bit more of a statistical approach and look at, you know, everything that is not normal should be taken a bit more with caution and uh, in particular combined also with subjective feelings uh, if you feel well and everything is going okay and your hrv is higher it can be a very good sign if you feel down then uh, probably not so a combination of things is always good another point i think that's important is that you know normally uh, so uh, when uh, when your hrv is here in your optimal or normal range it means that physiologically everything is normal, but you know it does not mean that you should always go hard those days, right? That I see it is a bit of a misunderstanding sometimes uh, using the app. You know, you see green, it means I have to go hard. Absolutely not. So first, you should have a plan. You know, the first thing is always to have a plan and know what you are doing, and then use HRV to adjust that plan, not just use HRV to drive every decision you make. So if you have um, a training plan, which is maybe a polarized training plan, and it says that you should go easy on a given day and your HRV is good and everything is within normal range, great. It just means that you're you know, coping well with the current training plan and you should stick to it. So I think that's um, how in general these metrics should be used is always as a sort of feedback loop, not necessarily something you want to optimize in the long term. So it doesn't mean that you know, it's going to go up if you, if you uh, let's say, behave properly and respect your body because, you know, stress comes and goes. And then uh, it's important just to keep the information into account so that you can make uh, adaptations and changes and then improve eventually uh, fitness performance or simply balance things out better. But, yeah, I would say that that's pretty much, you know, my main suggestion is to use really as a continuous feedback loop more than a variable you want to necessarily optimize super that's that's great yeah some good thoughts there and that leads me to the question of so there isn't a good hrv if you know i'm comparing myself to you and molly we're each going to have sort of our normal day-to-day range which the coach app there's a coach app for hrv as well and it has that range sort of you can adjust that sort of normal range but Essentially, what the HRV for training app does is the green means that you're within your normal sort of trend, right? Exactly, exactly. So everything is always relative, and it's important to look at things that way. Um, anything that is 
population comparisons or comparisons with other people, I would say just merely to satisfy, satisfy some curiosity, but it's not really insightful at the individual level. Um, but when is my heart rate variability better than Peter's? That's, that's what I really want to know. <laughs> <laughs> when do I win? Tough question. <sighs> I think I'm just overtrained all the time, so it's probably yeah, better all the time. Yeah, I would say also there are, um, so there is a strong genetic component, which is also why I say it doesn't make much sense in the long term to think about trying to optimize your HRV or increase it to certain values that you set for yourself, because it might just be impossible due to the fact that a strong uh, component is genetic. And, and that's why also I think it's more meaningful to just look relative to yourself, how things change on a day-to-day -day basis uh, so that you can, you know, make meaningful changes for yourself. Okay. So we have our, our green zone, we'll call it. So that's sort of our normal range. So every day I sort of vary, say, between, uh, I guess we'll use recovery points because that's easier in numbers. So you express HRV as, uh, what is that, the root mean squared, which is a more, yeah. like, I guess we can even use that. So say I go between 75 and 80 is the number I get on that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's sort of my range. Uh, if I go out of that, you know, I do a hard interval or a really big training day or the week even was really hard. So I see, you know, on Saturday that I'm out of that range. And that's, to me, I almost want to see that because that means that the training has pushed me out of my, my comfort zone. And, and would you say that that's sometimes a good goal to sort of push yourself? You know, I have a hard day. I have a, you know, a challenging day or a race even, you know, you'd almost want to see that disruption. Yeah, definitely. I would say there's uh, different responses we, we can see and, you know, especially if you're ace and then the day after you have a very low score. I mean, that's quite normal, I would say. Um, and indeed, it means you definitely gave all you had, like physiologically speaking. Right. And then, um, yeah, def definitely no problem. And then sometimes... Uh, what we can see also by looking, you know, at the big picture a bit more. So instead of looking at day-to-day -day variations, is to look at just how the baseline is changing over time. Mm, sometimes positive adaptations to high-intensity volumes uh, are shown as um, even a baseline increase uh, over that specific period. That's something, for example, that um, Dan Plus is doing a lot yeah, in his own uh, work with his athletes is to look at, um, you know, how the baseline is changing over time more than day-to-day -day changes because that can also reflect positive adaptations to training. Even if you go two, three weeks hard and you still see your HRV is stable or increasing, then uh, it means, you know, you, you probably uh, were coping very well with that training block. Uh, okay, and, so uh, that's, that's something if someone has a, a bunch of data, you know, they've been collecting it since we, we did our last podcast with you, maybe. Um, that's something, you know, that we could look at in the app. You know, there's an analysis sort of tab in the app, and, and we could go and look at how that baseline is trending over time. Exactly, exactly. So that's something I've, I've seen also in my own data in the past periods that we wish I was training very well. Um, I had. Uh, very positive adaptations while you know again recently before even leading to these problems my baseline was going down and down and then it was clear that yeah, I was trying, trying to force something that was not being uh, you know well received <laughs> by my body yeah um so that's good the you mentioned the coefficient 
so that would be almost different. So I'm talking about, you know, one or two days having that disruption where we're out of our normal, like away mm-hmm. from that baseline. But you're saying if someone was seeing, you know, they're in and out of that, they're getting yellows and reds very frequently, that means that, you know, that they're not coping well or there's a lot of stress or... Yeah, know. exactly. In, in general, if you're coping well with your current program or with the trainings you're doing, you would expect values not to vary that much uh, because, I mean, intuitively, even if, if your body has, let's say, absorbed well the stimulus, then uh, it would not be too affected, even if it was a good stimulus. So the coefficient of variation is another way to look at how we are responding to a specific training block uh, and, and to see if we are having positive adaptations or not. Right. This is also in the app, I would say. And then just and then we have this insights section under HRV trends. You can look also specifically at this coefficient. Gotcha. Okay. Is there any other you know things we could keep an eye on just to see you know is there anything that other than just that daily red, yellow, green indicator? Is there anything else that can sort of give us a, a you know an early warning sign that we're going to get sick or we're getting too tired or we need a break? Is there is there another any other metric in there we can sort of check out? I would say in general that that's it. Like the most important one is just, you know, your HRV is physiological stress and consistency, you know, and being compliant and doing it every day is eventually key because that's how you can spot things early. And also you get less fooled as there is, you know, much day-to-day variability. So measuring, I think there are also studies on this. If you measure only twice or three times per week, even your baseline might not be uh, an accurate reflection of your physiological stress, while something like five recordings are more like what is needed so that you can capture these changes properly. That makes sense. I, I was always under, like, I was just like, you may as well just do it every day to have the habit and, you know, then, yeah. then I can actually adapt my training for the day, right? Or sort of understand, you know, okay, there's obviously something a little different here today. And then also see oh tomorrow's even worse you know yeah exactly um the other nice thing which i just want to reiterate and and i think has gotten a lot more enhanced i guess with your partner i will call it a partnership with training peaks but you they've given you some more you can send a lot of information to the training peaks metrics so any coaches or athletes this is to me in two minutes in the morning i can update metrics into the training peaks app send the hrv send the resting heart rate but then also get either my own or my athletes to have you know, all these ratings of, you know, how tired they are, how sore they are and this sort of stuff, right? Is there, what, can you give us just a rundown of what, what metrics can we send to training peaks? Yeah, exactly. So we have a series of metrics that you can push to them um, so that you can see all of these parameters uh, in training peaks. So we started just with resting heart rate and HRV. And then we added most of the parameters we could match because anyways, you know, we have the morning questionnaire, so there is no point for athletes doing things twice. So this way they can just get the data on sleep quality and sleep time, um, muscle soreness, fatigue, uh, physical condition, uh, menstruation, um, what do we have? Motivation to train. And then I think also if you write notes, uh, like any additional, let's say, 
thoughts or things that those also get pushed there. Oh, really? So I didn't know the notes go too. That's awesome. They should go. So if you, we have a field which is called, I think, anything else you'd like to annotate, and that also gets pushed and shows up as notes on training peaks. So then you have all this information in there, which is indeed useful then for coaches to have. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. And I, that's one of my favorite features. Now that, so the athlete basically takes the reading. It can be one minute or longer. You can do two and five minute um depending on what you do now and then it pops up and gives you the athlete the survey where they sort of fill out the indicators or metrics that marco just sort of listed um and then it shows sort of the recommendation for the day and that takes into account both the hrv reading relative to the baseline but also those metrics so if i say i'm sick or if i say i'm super stressed today relative you know it's a slider scale then it's going to give me potentially a, a a red is that correct? Even if my it's HRV is normal, right? Um, so what we do is to combine the two. So the number you see, that is always just physiology. So that's based entirely on just the measurement. But then the color and the advice, indeed, they are a combination of uh, where your measurement stands with respect to your normal values and certain subjective scores. In particular, we use um, sleep quality, motivation to train, uh, perceived performance during the past training, and also muscle soreness. So this was some brainstorming we did with some coaches, um, and they came up with uh, these parameters as what was more important. So we use this and combine them with HRV and to provide the, the daily advice, and that's also indeed if you, well, plus some others that are obvious. For example, if you say you are sick, then of course the app will not tell you to go hard. So we will override the decision. But in uh, in any other case, it's a combination of these parameters which will uh, then give you an advice depending on uh, on those. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I think for anyone, you know, we're going into trainer season here, and everyone's into their suffer fests and their. You know, just even if you're just following a training plan without a coach, you know, someone else to tell you, hey, take a break. You know, this is really good where, you know, you might admit you're sick or you might admit you're sore today, but you might not, you know, take that, you know, realize that's a suggestion to go easy. And then the app's going to give you that yellow or red. And again, you do, you know, as both Marco and I would say myself are guilty of, sometimes it's hard to do that. Yeah, so then but, you have some reality check. Then you learn something from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we both, at the same time, I can show examples too from this past season, whether it was our Ironman training or coming into some of the, I was just showing Molly, I went through some of my data. In May, I always seem to get sort of sick or tired at the end of May and early June. It's just been sort of a few months of charging harder races and we have to usually travel back from California. And it ends up, I just feel awful. But this year I sort of avoided catastrophe and it, it took probably two weeks of not really any purpose or not personal, but any hard, like significant training. Yeah. Um, you know, if someone saw it and then actually I had some really, really good Canada cups, the two in June went pretty well for me. And that was off of just trying to get over the travel and a bit of sickness. And like I say, just a lot of races and work and everything else. So, um, it, it's there to use it if, if you, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So to finish off, Marco, we've almost got you for an hour here. So I want to let you go. We've avoided any big drilling in your apartment and stuff there. So we're, we're doing well. Um, I don't think I got to ask you last time, what are, you know, are there books or documentaries or anything else, something like that, that, you know, has really influenced your learning or your thought process or, you know, 
you know, pushed you to choose the career and studies you did? Is there is a book or something like that that comes to mind that I can sort of read and sort of greater understand Marco? <laughs> um, let me think. So for the process, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say maybe some, some, something I've liked recently has been reading um, a lot of Talibs, uh, you know, Fooled by Randomness, uh, The Black Swan, these kind of books. Yeah, I they're think. good. I just got into the which one did I read? Um, what's Any Fragile? I, I'd always wanted. Uh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. So yeah. I, I think I l- actually listened to it on a drive. So would you recommend like Black Swan, or is there one that particular yeah, uh, you really like? I think Black Swan was my favorite, better for me than Cool by Randomness and others. Um, yeah, I think I can relate with many aspects, and uh, yeah, I find it a good read. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And on HRV or, or that sort of, I, I would say even in the AI sort of machine learning stuff, is there anything that really has mm. caught your eye or, you know, if someone wants an introduction into that sort of general area? Well, to start with those, I, I would always recommend Coursera. Um, there is like fantastic material, especially uh, from Andrew NG, I think is, is uh, pronounced the last name. It's one of the leading experts in AI and machine learning, and he just put up a new series of, I think, four or five courses on deep learning right now on Coursera, which is free to take, so it's, it's a pretty amazing resource that I would recommend. Uh, I think I just went through the first three, so I'm finishing the uh, refreshment myself, but it's pretty, it's pretty good uh, material. Okay, and, and sorry, what was the, uh, the website for that, or the... Coursera. Coursera, okay. Yes. It's spelled with a C. I think, yeah, exactly. But I can also send you a link to the exact course later. Okay, well, I'll, I'll try and find it. If I can't find it, I'll, I'll buzz you on that. Yeah. Awesome, sir. Well, thank you very much. I'll We'll keep pushing that app. I think it's going to become pretty mandatory for my athletes uh, <laughs> at all levels uh, over the next couple months and weeks. We're going through sort of the off-season for a lot of the endurance athletes, so it's a good time to sort of get some baseline. So. If you're listening to this, smart athletes, you can start downloading that app right now, and and that's where we're going if you're not already there. Um, Anything else, Marco or Molly? Um, I'd say nothing specific. (laughs) (laughs) Put us right on the spot there. Molly, do you Well, I was just going to say, I think pretty much every single time I write an article that's like, you know, X number of ways to improve X thing about your fitness, I think number one has been HRV. In like 30 articles every yeah, year. Yeah, Molly, Molly's pretty good at starting habits and stuff, but definitely not. She, I'm actually she, really bad she, at starting she habits. She does it every morning. <laughs> She's one of the few people I know who can do it without going to the washroom before she gets out of bed. So she, okay, let's, let's just really get that out there to the audience. <laughs> I mean, most people have to get up to pee. That's, I think that's true. Marco, I don't know if he can back me up on this, but a lot of people have to. Totally. Yeah. Three, um, four times per night. But Molly, and she does. <laughs> Really small bladder here. Yeah. Um, but then, and you do it for, do you do two minutes? Or I five? do five minutes. Yeah, Molly does five minute readings. Oh, wow. So if you ever need someone with five minute readings, she's going to be the, the show. There you go. Your HRV yes. is better than mine. You got a five minute. Your data is much more robust. Well, I count it as my meditation too. That's right. actually yeah. one of the articles I wrote. Yeah. Was, did you ever send that yeah, to Marco? Yeah, I did. Yeah. That yeah, Marco's got it. Yeah. Okay. And mine, Body Green. So we'll have to link so that we'll, one too. Perfect. All right, Marco, we'll let you go. Thank you very much. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And while you're there, consider subscribing. 
We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Herford and Peter is at Peter Glassford. If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast, or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.